Hello, friends. I've lost all sense of time, and I bet you have too. What my calendar keeps reminding me, though, is that Mother's Day is upon us, and because I have no money, and also her birthday was this week, my gift to my mom was an hour's conversation talking about what did it for her as a child. This is an incredibly special episode for me. So I want to give a big thank you to all who donated to make it possible, and an especially big shout out to my patrons on Patreon, Krista Umberforth, Hannah Grierson, Grace Kent, Chandler Parrott-Thomas, and Dante Tafo. You are the mothers of this podcast, and we are truly grateful. If you want to be like these amazing folks and also receive lots of fun extras like exclusive episode art, bonus content, and the opportunity to guest on an episode, you can go to patreon.com slash thatdoitforyapod to join our horny little community. And if you don't feel like you can commit to being a monthly donor but still want to donate, you can catch my Venmo in the episode description. This week, because of Mother's Day, donors will get access to an exclusive blooper... This week, because of Mother's Day, donors will get access to an exclusive blooper reel of all the wacky stuff my mother said that I couldn't keep in the episode, including her description of her online improv class. With so much talk about Mother's Day, I just want to take a second to acknowledge that this time of year can be really hard for some folks. Uh, People who have lost their mothers or have difficult relationships with their mothers can often feel left out or extra sad right now. I just want to say that to all of you, I love you, I see you. And this podcast is your mother now. Lastly, while I'm still working out the audio quality as we transition to Zoom, this episode has some particularly rough audio moments, as well as some background noise. For the rough audio, I apologize. For the background noise, I kept it in because it felt like home. Oh, and one last thing. A friend of the pod and former guest Eric Solis wrote a fun intro song we are trying out this week. I love it. And if you do too, let us know on Twitter or Instagram at that do it for you. Okay, that's actually everything. Here's the very special Mother's Day episode of That Do It For Ya, Captain Von Thirst Trap with my mom. Do you want to rub on Simba's tummy? Or think that Spider-Man looks extra yummy? The pain of childhood is super funny on Did That Do It For Ya? With Aurelia Grierson. (laughs) All right, (laughs) what do you want to (laughs) know? Okay, let's take a minute <laughs> to breathe. <laughs> then we'll start over. <laughs> uh, We're getting our, le- our our trust, our communication, uh, you know. Yeah. Code words. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hello and welcome. Safe word. Ah, that's what I think. <laughs> ah, hello and welcome to That Do It For Ya. Another episode of the podcast. <laughs> I'm here for a very special Mother's Day and Mother's Birthday episode with my mom. Hey, mom, how are you? I'm good. Good to see you. Good to see you too. It's so weird us being in the same town, but not being able to conduct this interview in person. It makes me sad. I miss you. I miss you too. How is the farm? The farm is doing great. The garden has like hasn't looked good like this in a long time. That's amazing. Yes. Oh, gosh, fresh veggies from the garden. What a staple of childhood. Usually this is the part where I ask uh, my guests how we know each other, but I think uh, I explained it pretty well. You are April Fools. I knew on April Fools that, yes. <laughs> that you were going to be in my life. <laughs> you found out you were pregnant with me on April Fools Day and yeah. you thought that the, the nurse was, was playing a prank on you. Basically, she's like, do you want to be pregnant? And I'm like, yeah, I would, that would be wonderful. Be cool. And then she goes, well, it's not a, it is not an April Fool's and you are. <laughs> oh, there well, there it is. That's how we know each other. 
<laughs> Amazing. Well, you jumped right to it, uh, Mom. So on this podcast, as I have explained, I uh, talk to people about the their their to put it delicately, their first uh, sort of celebrity crushes, their first media crushes, the things that made their young hearts go pitter patter and to get excited. And you, when I asked you if you wanted to be on this podcast, you uh, brought up a title that was super exciting to me because this was a movie that you shared with me when I was young. And is one of my favorite movies of all time, like definitely like top five favorite movies of all time. And uh, do you want to do you want to say what that movie is? What we're going to be talking about today? Uh, you know, I'm sure that it's true for a lot of people my age. It is Sound of Music. The Sound of Music. Oh, it's the best movie. I love this movie so much. I just watched it in preparation for recording this episode, and Wiley hadn't seen it for a while. And it was just us really enjoying, you know, the first half of that movie. Because the second half gets to be a bit of a bummer. After the wedding, it's like a different, it's a different thing. But everything leading up to the wedding is uh, some of the best cinema and musical theater that I think has ever been made. Yeah, I think that for the fact that it has this like really singable music, like really catchy music combined with good enough acting, combined with gorgeous scenery and children. It's like, you know, I think for a child seeing other children's experiences is how we learn. And so I think there was something really educational in there. I saw it when I was three and my parents were blown away because I asked to see it again when I was like, like I remembered it and I never forgot. I got to see it again. <laughs> I think that's right. Or was I five? I, I, we, what year was it? Let's, let's look without the Google. We need to know. We got to know. It definitely came out in the 60s. It was like watching the movie, it felt like the aesthetic was the 60s does the 30s. Uh Well, it's funny because I've always said that, had that story, but I've never gone back and authenticated. Is it fake news? (laughs) 65. So yeah, you're right. You are right. Awesome. Yes. All right. Yeah, I was just smitten with it. But this is the thing. Because I was a little kid, and, you know, I only, like, resonated with the children, not really what the, like, it was, the whole Nazi thing went right by me. Sure. <laughs> but when I saw it again at 13, because I was like, it wasn't like now where you can cat see thing. you know, you had to just wait for the re-release. Uh-huh. So at 13, I saw it again, and I was just terrified because of the Nazi stuff. Yeah, I bet. You are often, you have said to me a few times when I proclaim my Jewishness in public, that that's something that makes you nervous. I, when I was a kid and, and being influenced by sound of music, <laughs> it's you hide. You don't have to tell me so, you know, <laughs> it's between you and God. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I think it's, well, you were also in the sixties, the, the world war two was not that far off and the holocaust was actually like still pretty recent history and i was thinking about that when i was watching this movie was that wow this movie like was like ready to tackle this subject matter pretty shortly after like your your dad didn't fight in world war ii did he no he went to korea but he wasn't even near the conflict he was in europe doing uso stuff it just it's so interesting that like the film industry was really ready to tackle this subject matter and and I think about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and how that 
when I watch that, I think about grandma, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been like her and you would have been baby Esther and, <laughs> and how just, I need to see that from that perspective. I can't not see it from that perspective, especially the episodes where they go to the Catskills. I think that that would make that, uh, we tried to watch it and we didn't get pulled in. I would try it again, looking at it that perspective. That that's Liz? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You have to watch it as that's grandma. Okay. Because that's definitely, I mean, that's certainly like the pull of that show for me is, is like watching it and being like, oh my God, this is like the era that my my grandma was a young mom. and raising kids but kind of being more preoccupied with her dresses <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> preoccupied with tennis and shopping yep and dad the sort of uh, you know event that dad could get her to be part of because of his connections there you go but yeah just my favorite joke i think i've ever heard that is just the most jewish thing i've ever seen <laughs> is after Midge uh, tells her parents that Joel has left her, they're kind of causing a cacophony. And then she says it again louder. And then her dad is like, Shh, they'll hear you. And he references the ceiling, the roof above him. And then she goes, who, Papa? And he goes, them, them. Oh, well, your grandmother's rolling in their graves. <laughs> the, girl's rolling in their graves. the Nazis you're hiding from. Just, <laughs> they'll uh-huh. hear you. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> just- I don't know. Being raised Jewish, it was all that, though. It was always your grandparents and, you know, mm-hmm. the shame, the shame. The don't, shame. Be sh- don't be shaming us. Yeah. The doing is shaming us. I, this is like different direction, but okay. when I was also like three, uh-huh. I was down in Miami and I got pulled out into the ocean in a little bit of a sneaker wave and somebody rescued me. But then what, because they were so embarrassed and everything, they spanked me <laughs> to them. I don't <laughs> <laughs> they just did the best they could. I get it. See how much I get it. It's like they were totally, you know, terrified and scared and angry and embarrassed all at once. Well, I think this is such actually this is a great way to loop us back into the subject matter at hand is because <laughs> Captain Von Trapp, when we first meet him, is abusing those children. Like you know, there's no love. The whistle, exactly. Exactly. So, like, I think, and again, this, the characters in this movie are not Jewish. So, us, us having kind of a, a connection to it feels like, I think, strictly because it's Holocaust and World War II material. Um, there's a deeper connection for you, seeing it obviously when you were three, and then that movie staying with you throughout your life. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what first, uh, I guess, did it for you about that movie? It was really the kids. Totally like seeing their lives, seeing how hard it was, but how like the fact that this like savior shows up, you know, that this person who actually understands children and has the ability to be that like person, but not like on the outside, like a grandparent, but like inside the household. Oh my gosh. Such, it's like that yearning we all have to be treasured to have someone genuinely interested in you. Yeah. Yeah. And Maria is definitely, definitely that for those kids. I, I may, I may be guiding you towards more uncomfortable topic. But... <laughs> oh All right. This is different than I thought <laughs> doing slapstick. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, there's, I think it's also. <laughs> no, really, I thought it was more of improv than. <laughs> improv. I guide you. I interview you. <laughs> All right. I'll try. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm, yes. <laughs> but like, so Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews, both incredibly beautiful characters who then just share this incredibly intimate nuzzling in the gazebo. <laughs> and I was watching that this morning and I was like, this is like for a movie done in the 60s, this is like some pretty explicit nuzzling and there was so much chemistry there that mm. you know and by the time it got to there and it almost didn't happen and all the trials and tribulations till the finally the lovers are together lovers are together yes and there's there is there's like you're right there's just like this immediate chemistry between them that is so undeniable and you get to really see it build and i think christopher Plummer does really wonderful little these half smiles these like kind of like smirks Whenever she's being ridiculous and being herself. And I think there's there's something about the first song in, in the movie that like besides the sound of music is how do you solve a problem like Maria? I, th I think there's so much about this movie about like being accepted for who you are and being seen in that way. It's like with the children, with the th what you resonated with as a kid and then perhaps getting older and, and seeing that that could be possible in a lover as well. And right. <laughs> <laughs> the acceptance of that, that's like something like that's totally like when you see that is like wow how much you want to emulate that so badly yeah i think that again because like uh, you know i think we look to media to be that thing that we learn from is and, and really you know it used to be maybe even where the tribe was where we're look, living in a tribe and seeing that and experiencing that this was all of that because all across the lifespan we don't have that anymore and yet we yearn for it as humans mm -hmm. acceptance and love and that whole it, the whole movie is kind of just like about acceptance and love and being accepted for who you are and singing and the sound of music <laughs> <laughs> and then of course you know when you're when you're 16 and your hitler youth boyfriend comes and <laughs> says that even though he is but a year older than you he feels so much older than you <laughs> he's going to take care of you now Exactly. Yeah, but then the shock and horror when they throw them, you know, Nazis on you, that same boyfriend. Oh my gosh, that's the ultimate betrayal. That could have cost yes. them their lives. I know. And no wonder Liesl gasped. She was, yep. And I think that's a very interesting moment when Captain Von Trapp takes the gun from young Rolf. And then he makes some sort of like kind of emasculating comment. <laughs> And I was like, oh, you almost had him. <laughs> He's like, and like it's not <laughs> oh no. Oh, those missed opportunities. I should have validated more. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's, it's truly, it's not a bad thing that he says. It's it, He just says you'll never be one of them, which is like, great, you don't want to be a Nazi. Like Captain Von Trapp is super antifa but then i think young rolf just like there's this like moment in his face where he's like oh yeah you want to bet and it's like oh yeah if only you had validated captain von trapp it's like yeah you made a good choice now come escape into switzerland with us yeah, but no, we'll take care of you that's what that he offered he was like yeah come with us but then 
you'll never be one of them. <laughs> and all the brainwashing kicks in. Ah, Hitler youth. <laughs> but yeah, Christopher Plummer was 35 when they filmed that. I think Julie Andrews was younger, but a fun fact, she was just coming off of recording, recording, <laughs> filming Mary Poppins when uh -huh. she started filming uh, Sound of Music, but the Mary Poppins hadn't been released yet. But she sang supercalifragilisticexpialidocious to the kids, and they were so amazed. She, they thought that she had invented that song that she had wrote it because the movie hadn't come out yet. Wow, they was that like a lawsuit? <laughs> I mean, now it would be. Disney is like this bloated, like copyright devil that's just like overlords all the things that we're allowed to post. So I can't have like any clips in, on the show because Disney will like hear it and find me and be like, eh, and take everything down. And now technically Disney owns uh, Sound of Music because they own Fox. Sheesh. Yeah. But uh, one moment that I know did it for me in the many times that I've watched this movie is the, oh, what is it called? The Lindell Dance or whatever? Oh, Minuet? No. The Lind, what is that word? I'm looking it up. Oh, what is that word? Lynchin? Lynch? Lynch something? It's Lynn something. Yeah, Lynn something. Hold on, I'm gonna. I we have the Google. How's their Lynch noodle? <laughs> Schnitzel with noodles. <laughs> Sound of music, courtyard dance. Here we go. Lindler. Lindler. Landler. Landler. Lindler. Lindler. Okay, I was so close. But uh, yeah, there's this moment where oh, the blush. The blush, and that's the thing I think that this like captures really well is like that there is like this like heat between the two of them that's very like proper I guess isn't the word but like they're like dancing and they're like her his arm and like her arm are like above and they've been like twirling around and then he's like you're you're blushing and she's like oh gracious I am and then <laughs> runs out of the room <laughs> and then the Baroness who was the, I don't think the Baroness is the villain of this story I mean how can she be when there's like literal Nazis in this story uh-huh no she just has a different style of attachment and a different education it's <laughs> <laughs> so validating <laughs> so validating but I, I mean her the Baroness and Uncle Max, I think, are two of my favorite characters. Although watching it now, I'm sort of like, oh, they're such centrists. <laughs> Where Max's attitude is sort of like, just like go along with anything. It's all good. Just keep your head down. But Max is definitely gay. Uncle Max. Totally. Oh, yeah. Watching it now, it's like he's unmarried. He hangs out with this fabulous woman with money. He likes his moneyed relatives. He has this great line that is probably my favorite line in the movie where he says, oh, I love rich people. I love the way they live. And I love the way I live when I'm with them. Yes. <laughs> Uncle Max. That's yes, totally. You know, but you think about that. Nazis. Mm -hmm. That was really risque to be as out as he even was. Very out. Like, was that, watching that in in your in your younger life was that clear that he was was that like communicated that he was a, a gay man it was like no no i would i would say that he was a hollywood type which was kind of code for that mm. but it wasn't as explicit sure 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 cuz watching it now i'm like well that's apparent like mm -hmm, right he works in the entertainment industry and that was what that meant when you called them a Hollywood type. 
Mm, interesting. I didn't that's know that. what you were saying without being, you know, too blatant. Yes. Yes. Cause I, I mean, looking that's, that's very interesting then that he would have the kind of keep your head down attitude. If he's, if he's a Hollywood type, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the little mustache twirling, all of it. And like him and the countess, I guess the Baroness is, is her actual title. Her, him and the Baroness is like a flame in his dame. They're always like drinking lemonade and talking shit. And she's always like, ha ha ha, I'm going to send the, the children to boarding school. And he's like, Oh, you're wicked. <laughs> and like, that's every single relationship I have with my gay friends. <laughs> there's just so much laughing and drinking of lemonade between those two and I love it I love every moment of it but this uh, movie for you I know also has this other layer of resonance because of your time in in the abbey are we allowed to talk about this I yeah totally yeah no I you know it's I often like think about that because I was really drawn and to doing being living in a spiritual community and the fact that it was like that was not law the, the apparently you know the fact that that was happening and that was such an influence early in my life was something that gave me lots to think about you know mm-hmm. is that like was that a part of why that also resonated my own monastic karma you know mm-hmm. that like that thing and I think about in the musical isn't Maria an orphan like isn't that why she came to the abbey is that why that feels. Can I do a phone a friend? <laughs> well, now I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> I feel like they don't talk about it in the movie. Maria, sound of music, orphan? Question mark. I bet you'll find an answer. Maria von Trapp biography. Well, that's the real one. Oh, she's less cute than Julie Andrews. <laughs> uh, I'm awful. Yeah, orphan. She was an orphan. Orphan. So she went to the Abbey as an orphan. I thought that's the case. She went to the Abbey as an orphan because her and like in the biography it's like her life was marked with hardship and yeah she's drawn to this monastic life and she says the reason that she's drawn to it is that she looked over the garden wall and there were the nuns singing on their way to to their prayers and working in the garden and this sort of just like peaceful existence and music and then she has this this trouble with the rigidity of that life and the the structure of it is what's difficult for her and I, I definitely like saw that translated uh, in in the stories you've told me from your lo- young life as well. Sort of feeling like an orphan, is that what you know? <laughs> Just <laughs> drawn to a life of peace. <laughs> I'm going to a much whole different place. So, you know, I just think that... Oh, this is just, I mean, what I was thinking of is like, I was just thinking when you like of her experience, I mean, having parents that are narcissistic is like very much that, you know? Yeah. It's just different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then even you met uh, my dad at the Abbey. There is that part of real life. <laughs> I always thought that that was why you were so connected to climb every mountain. That is interesting. And there is an allegory there. And I don't know that I... I you don't have to talk about it. about that like that. I always thought that that was why you were so connected to that song. No, because I was way connected to the song for so many years. And then I met your dad. Then you know, <laughs> just the benevolent yeah. abbess saying it's all good. <laughs> yeah, no, that isn't what really happened. When what? It, was- <laughs> it was scandalous, really. 
Wait, really? Yeah. <gasps> Wait, really? Mm-hmm. I had the impression that it was very much like when Maria went back to the Abbey and then the Abbess was like, it's all good. No, they did not want us to leave. <gasps> they tried to convince both each of us with whole, like, what, like the angle that we needed to hear to not do it. <laughs> oh, my God. They didn't even tell us each the same thing, you know, and we like later compared notes. This is shocking. It was shocking. And so we left, like it was not an easy leaving. It was like a F you, get out of here. Oh, wow. Just like the Von Trapps leaving Austria. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't know that. But yeah, like it. Yes, <laughs> definitely had that. But then here's the sad thing. Yeah. So the reason we did leave together actually wasn't just that there was whatever we had, it was because I needed to go be with my dad who had cancer oh gracious i didn't need, i didn't know that either yeah so i was leaving and your dad said that he wanted to come mm. and i was like you know i can't i can't make any commitments i can't you know right. like, i'm just going because i need to go be with my dad he's like well i want to go and help you that sounds like a really an intense thing and i'm like okay we're going like as friends, whatever, you know. Friends <laughs> my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was attraction there, but I just was like, no, I just can't like do that right in this moment. For sure. You're, I, I didn't realize that you left the monastery because of, of uh, grandpa. Yeah. He had, the same year I went into the monastery, he had been diagnosed with cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Uh but he didn't tell anybody, Uh nobody. But by the fall, when I was about to become an actual monk, I'd already been living there and, you know, dad had already sent the PIs to scope it out. (laughs) But then he, it was October and we all went to the Catskills. Of course you did. (laughs) Brain tumor too. It's all right. It's all right. So we had gone there as kind of like a family reunion to the Catskills. And he had to tell everybody then, because I don't even think he told his brother. So I think it was Uncle Gil and all of them. And and he had this scar and he was joking because he's shaved head and the scar. He's like, my head's a big baseball. Oh, oh my God. And that's like, he had a big sense of humor, which is why, like, he he would want me to talk about his life in ways that made people laugh. Good. I mean, was it apparent when you got there that something was up besides the scar in the head or? No, but that's how, because I was already in the monastery and they're like, no, we've got to tell you this thing. And then it was like, the monastery, you got to go see him. I was like, I want to go see him. So I went, but then I was like, well, you know, so that really pissed my family off, I think. I don't imagine that they took kindly to you becoming a Buddhist monk either. Yeah, that was, yes, it was all Catskill. Oh, it's all cat skills, baby. It's all cat skills. Like <laughs> the sound of music. But no, I think that there's that this movie is so tied up karmically in your life. Clearly mm-hmm. it's like stayed with you. Like I I remember I think the first movie that I really remember watching, I already talked about on this podcast, was Lion King. Yeah, that would be just about you being three years old and being exposed to that. I've continued to return to that movie. Good music. See now look at that. Look how like the music makes a memorable movie even for a three year old. I think oh, like, yeah. learning happens with music. 
-hmm. or like imprinting maybe called yes. learning imprinting yeah. and that i think that that happens when you know there's some songs that tell the story i think you're probably right yeah and then i think about i mean this movie i've been watching with you since before i can remember and you have on several occasions on my birthday saying edelweiss to me mm -hmm. <laughs> which is so fond and then also i mean Lori stepmom really exposed me to musicals we should play you playing edelweiss <laughs> no <laughs> no we're not doing that <laughs> do it anyway because <laughs> i remember watching fiddler on the roof and west side story and loving those just so immensely ah okay then though you were a little bit older then no i was young when i saw those fiddler on the roof yeah, even Fiddler. I was young when I saw Fiddler, and I remember we went to see we went to see it at the at the high school when the high school did it, and that was one of the first times I saw theater, and I loved it. I remember because I think the high school was doing it, and so Lori was like, "Well, you have to watch the actual." And I also have a memory of being at some relatives something or other, and a very old Jewish man in a wheelchair singing "Sunrise Sunset." That's your grandpa Joe. Yeah, yeah, that I remember. That is so cool. You have that memory. I have, it's crystal clear. I am under a table for some reason. Uh, so I feel like I spent a lot of my young childhood under tables. I'm under a table with a tablecloth kind of over me and he is in a wheelchair and he has a yarmulke on. Yiddish accent. He was from the old country, right? Uh, yes. Yes, for sure. Yiddish accent, sunrise, sunset. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that made my childhood happening at 13 really hard for me was that my temple school was showing videos of the Holocaust, but not just like the newsreel, like, but like a longer set of like- Worse stuff. Like Mengele and stuff. Ah. And so it was such a traumatic time for me to be exposed to that. It, that's like what also when learning how the sound of music, which was like my, longing to have something and then that was the other thing that i was not sure to be candid about it's like when i was a kid i imagined my parents dying in a cat crash and that i would have new parents oh god that's so uh, rough yeah so i definitely like felt like oh could i only have the story of both the kids getting like a fresh start and of Maria getting a chance to be seen and treasured. And, and maybe that's why we also resonate with Maria because she got to have this life where it wasn't hardship and it wasn't controlling your inner, you know, probably restrained like in the monastery. It was like singing. Yeah. Loves and, da and dancing the Lindner. Isn't that the <laughs> We'll never get it. We will never. The Lindler. <laughs> the Lindler Lindler. <laughs> oh, this, there is, it's so interesting that this is actually based on a, on a real story because it is such an escapist narrative. Just this. I have driven by the driveway of the Van Traps and. That is something I regret doing that when I lived in Europe, I never went because I just, I, I know that that you can drive by the house and you can go into the. This is in Vermont where I drove by their driveway. Oh, their actual house. Yes. <laughs> the actual family house. I was like talking about the house where they filmed it. Oh, gotcha. 
yeah. the house that they filmed it in Austria in the the gazebo that's there and you can go that you can go to I, I should have gone when I lived in Europe I, I wasted my time yeah. <laughs> but yes you did drive by the actual family house mm, yeah it was near my summer camp see now that was like the other thing with that story like when you go to summer camp she, Lori had this great experience but mine I felt shipped out oh no <laughs> while your family was in the Catskills and you were at well no this that was separate <laughs> Catskills was like the long weekend or the winter like because we used to in New York you have President's Day holiday uh -huh. and so for President's Day holiday you'd go to the Catskills and we would because then they had an indoor pool and they had skiing and so there was a lot for us to do and they had you know gambling and <laughs> <laughs> very good very good my dad would go there and hobnob with people and every, you know well i mean my favorite photo that exists is carol channing at your bat mitzvah <laughs> <laughs> so your dad pretty good at hobnobbing yeah he, he is good with people he was he knew the people <laughs> all right well this has been just such a great little catch up and chat. Uh, that totally went a different direction than I thought it would. <laughs> this was great. Happy birthday. Happy Mother's Day. Do I get to see this before you edit it? <laughs> I. It's mandatory that you listen to it before I uh, before I post it. Because how long is it going to be? I want it to be like, how, is it going to be like you're going to edit some stuff out? Oh, I'm going to edit quite a bit out. <laughs> I just thought we were going to do more like slapstick than in a... <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about like sound and music. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be more like improv, like somehow. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint. Don't worry, you'll get to listen to it before I post it. It won't be that long. I love you. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. What a great Mother's Day gift. I'm sorry that it was not what you expected. It's all good though. It's gonna be great. I'm sure that I delivered enough of you did <laughs> to make a great reel. You got the roll. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna stop recording. Okay. Well, that did it for me. Hope that did it for you. Thank you so much for listening. That Do It For You podcast is created, hosted, and edited by Aurelia Grissom to the best of their abilities. The show is produced by Dante Tapo and Chandler Parrott-Thomas. Our marketing and media manager is Eleanor Hobson, and our visual design is by Market Chambers. You can follow the pod at That Do It For You on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Patreon at patreon.com slash that do it for you pod to join our horny little community.